Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some pretty tough topics sometimes. One of the toughest of those topics, I believe, is childhood trauma. And uh, we have uh, a a person with us today, an expert who has uh, done a great deal in the treatment of childhood trauma, Dr. Anthony Manorino. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Glad to be on your show. Thank you. Now, I ran across an article um, uh, that was in um, Monitor on Psychology, which is a professional journal for psychologists, and that's what um, uh, interested me about uh, you and what what ultimately led to my getting in touch with you. We've heard a great deal about childhood trauma, and of course we've had Dr. Vincent Saletti, uh, one of the uh, primary authors of the ACEs study on childhood trauma, on the show previously, and it seems like everybody's now looking at childhood trauma. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here with you, Dr. Uh, Monarino, because when I was a kid, it was kind of like, well, uh, a child experiences trauma, that's just life, get over it. Now we seem to be really focused on childhood trauma because we are seeing studies. Why the change in how we look at childhood trauma? Well, there's, there's probably at least two reasons for the change in how we look at it. Uh, the first is, uh, up until 30 years ago, there wasn't a lot of research about the extent of childhood trauma and other childhood adverse experiences, uh, nor its impact. Uh, so it's, you know, it's kind of easy to understand why many years ago people didn't talk about it when kids experienced trauma and we just thought they'd get through it. But, but the research in the last 30 years has clearly demonstrated that childhood trauma is a lot more pervasive than we ever would have thought, that, you know, upwards to two out of three American children by the age of 16 have experienced a traumatic event. And we've also learned that for many, many kids, the impact is highly deleterious. So uh, I think it's only the recent research in the last two or three decades that have brought to light what a significant problem it is for American children and what a serious impact it has on them as well. But what, when we're talking trauma, that that's a whole array of things. It's impossible to totally avoid trauma in your life, isn't it? Well, that's why I think two-thirds of American children have experienced it. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably incredibly difficult to avoid trauma. But, you know, the most common kinds of trauma that children experience are typically in the realm of interpersonal violence. So we're talking about child physical abuse, child sexual abuse, domestic violence, uh, community violence, those kinds of things. You know, although the, the large events that cause trauma get a lot of public attention, and I'm talking about, for example, the terrorist attacks of September 11th or the... Um, uh, the hurricane uh, that occurred, uh, what, 11 or 12 years ago now, um, that hit uh, the New, New Orleans area and the Gulf Coast, um, you know, those, those events get a lot of attention and cause a lot of difficulty for kids and families, but it's more the everyday events that kids experience that don't get as much attention but aren't easy to deal with and easy to get through. When my grandfather, my father's father, was 
young, when he was a child. It was back in the days of the horses and buggies. And apparently, this, I never met the man, obviously, but uh, apparently the story was that he, as a, as a child, was going through this downtown somewhere in Michigan with his father, and his father began hitting him. And a neighbor pulled up in their horse and wagon. The father got out, went over to my grandfather's father and said, you don't deserve to have that child, picked up my grandfather and put him into the wagon, took him home, and he finished raising him. Hmm. And I think how simple that was. (laughs) Um, Does our society exacerbate trauma that children experience now or is it are we actually making huge strides in helping children with trauma well i think it's a little bit of both right on on the one hand um you know america is still one of the few countries out there that still permits uh parents to spank their children and although spanking in and of itself isn't a trauma uh when spanking becomes more significant, more severe, results in uh, significant pain for a child. It leaves marks or bruises. It sort of bleeds over from physical from physical punishment to physical abuse. So, you know, the fact that we still permit something like corporal punishment in America uh, clearly shows, compared to many other countries around the world, that we're lagging behind. But on the other side of the coin, I think we're doing a lot more. Um, we're much more aware of trauma, its impact. In the uh, fall of uh, 2001, around the time that uh, September 11th occurred, uh, the formation of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network occurred, and that's basically an initiative involving Uh, many programs around the country, the goal of which is to enhance the quality of care and access to care for children and families exposed to traumatic life events. And a lot of really wonderful things have come out of that uh, national network that is uh, funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So, you know, on the one hand, sometimes we haven't done enough, but on the other hand, we're doing a lot more than we ever have. Okay. Um, is there a difference, and I, uh, then I'll let this go and move into treatment, um, but I just want to clarify for the listeners. When we have trauma, I mean, we have trauma uh, all the time. I mean, the pet dies, that's trauma. We, you know, I mean, um, different things happen. But the trauma that you're talking about, does that in- incorporate that kind of, I don't know, I guess I would call it everyday trauma, grandpa dies yeah. or whatever? Well, um, yeah. Does it in- yeah, I don't think we would largely you know, consider a pet dying being a trauma. I mean, it's not to say that, that a, a child well, would be really... Well, clearly you, no, no, you don't know my pets. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm no, trying I'm to say is that, you know, under the you know, sort of traditional definition of trauma, some of the distressing events that children experience, like the birth of a sibling or the divorce of parents, is not typically considered a trauma. You know, under okay. the strict definitions, trauma normally means... Uh, a child exposed to uh, an event where there's been a death or life-threatening or a potential harm to the body integrity of the child or someone else the child loves. So it's a really serious life event. Um, Not that uh, the birth of a sibling or divorce or 
something like that aren't really stressful for kids and families, but I think when we're talking about trauma, we're we're really beginning to talk about some major league events in the in the lives of children and families. Would it be fair to say where it's something that the child has to contemplate their own safety, their own security? Yeah, I mean, trauma is all about uh, kids not feeling safe because either they're being hurt or they're seeing a loved one hurt and um, they're growing up failing to experience a sense of safety in their lives. Okay. So let's talk about all of these children who've been exposed to this severe kind of trauma. Briefly, what kinds of impact what does this have on their lives if they are not treated for it? And then what kind of, how can how can treatment minimize that impact? Yeah. Well, the first thing I should say is there's, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that um, despite the pervasiveness of trauma in American society, uh, the majority of children exposed to trauma after an initial period of distress and difficulty do not develop serious psychological or psychiatric symptoms, um, either because of their own coping resources, the support they get from their family or other people in their lives, um, or their own biological uh, stability. These are kids that have transient reactions and they do okay. They don't develop post-traumatic stress disorder. They don't become de depressed. They don't develop significant behavioral problems. In fact, I, I would estimate that about two-thirds of American children who are exposed to trauma really, again, through their own coping resources or supports from others, they don't develop serious problems. It's really the other one-third exposed to trauma who do develop significant post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms or depression, or anxiety, or behavior problems, and so forth, those are the ones that we're really most concerned about. Um, because with those kids who develop significant psychological problems, if they don't get help, if they don't uh, have their uh, trauma exposure identified, and then we offer appropriate treatment for them, these are the kids that are more likely to grow up with not only short-term problems, but significant long-term issues as well. And those long-term issues can include everything from physical um, problems to emotional problems to even financial problems. Am I right on that? Well, sadly, you are right. Um, so not only do these kids without intervention uh, have significant risks for depression as they grow up, for drug and alcohol abuse as they grow up, for psychiatric hospitalization as adults, for potential for self-harm and suicide, but they also have an increased uh, risk for medical problems. Uh, as you know, Dr. Felitti uh, has done his work on adverse child experiences, which to some moderate degree overlap with, with what's considered trauma. And Dr. Felitti's work has clearly shown that uh, youth who have a number of adverse child experiences uh, have a much higher likelihood of developing a variety of health risk factors, including drug and alcohol abuse, obesity, multiple sex 
partners and so forth. And uh, Dr. Felitti's research has also shown that uh, adverse child experiences are correlated with a variety of medical disorders in adulthood, including cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. And if you have six or more adverse child experiences while you're growing up, uh, Dr. Felitti's work has shown that your lifespan can be shortened uh, by as much as 20 years. So, yes, it's absolutely true that the impact uh, of trauma or adverse experiences uh, is really not only on the mental well-being of a child growing up, but on their physical well-being as well. And the impact isn't just for the child, right? I mean, uh, aren't there associations with criminal behavior and, and um, uh, behavior problems for school children, et cetera? Yeah. Well, they are more at risk for behavior problems at school. They're more at risk for potentially breaking the law, becoming involved in the juvenile justice system and, and all of that. So, you know, it's not only the cost for the child and the family, but uh, potentially for others and for society as well. Which makes us, we were talking off the air about how the ACEs study really started 30 years ago, and just now people are starting to really embrace it, you know, education, from education to, you know, all sorts of fields. And it, with, with that kind of an impact, it makes you wonder why it takes us 30 years to act upon something like that, doesn't it? Um, yeah, we're, we're just well, some good, we're just not the fastest movers, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's some good research um, uh, from the Institute of, of uh, Medicine that has demonstrated that uh, sometimes it takes uh, 15 years for research to actually be incorporated into clinical practice. So uh, this may be a bit longer than that, but that's sort of the the uh, slow path of research being incorporated into the work that practitioners provide. Okay, so to just sum up what we've been talking about so far, high incidence, high likelihood that children will experience trauma, and by trauma we mean things more significant than the dog dying. We mean um, mostly abuse-type situations. Um, now, is that worldwide, um, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Menorino, or is that just in the United States? No, it's worldwide. Um, okay. I'm not sure we have data to show comparable numbers in other countries, but uh, there are enough other countries that have done research related to childhood trauma, and, it, and sadly, it's, it's very common uh, around the world. And, and, of course, in some parts of the world, uh, certain kinds of concerns that are even uh, things that don't necessarily occur routinely in the United States, so, you know, civil wars in different countries, um, refugee issues when uh, children are moving from one country to another, those kinds of things, uh, and the big impact of the refugee immigration issue, for example, in southern Europe. So there are, there are countries around the world that not only uh, have to address the issues that we face in the U.S., but some even more significant issues around refugees and immigration that are probably greater than what we have here. Yeah. So we see a large percentage of children who experience trauma. Of those children, some of them are able to handle it and move on, but, uh, again, a fairly large percentage do not. And that results in problems not only for that child but also for society. So right. what are we doing about that? Well, you know, I think uh, 
First off is that we've become aware that the problem is as pervasive as I've mentioned. Uh, you know, we have now this National Child Traumatic Stress Network, uh, the goal of which is really to increase awareness and highlight uh, really all of the wonderful work being done across the country related to childhood trauma. And, that, and in that regard, uh, fortunately, there have been a number of uh, interventions, mainly psychotherapeutic interventions, that have been developed for uh, children and families exposed to trauma that have been studied uh, quite extensively. And we now have good data to show that children who have been exposed to trauma have psychological symptoms associated with trauma can really get better uh, in response to good evidence-based treatment. So, so we've come a long way in the last 30 years, and now at least we know if we have a child who has been exposed to trauma and has serious problems, we can offer them something worthwhile that will definitely help them most of the time. Okay. So what kinds of treatment do these children require? What what can we offer these children? And um, I'm, I'm kind of easing into your um, uh, particular approach. So what are some different ways that psychologists, physicians, et cetera, try to help these children deal with the trauma? Yeah, well, there are, there are probably a number of components to different treatments that are offered to these children and families that are common across treatments. So, for example, uh, most of the treatments that have been studied and are effective uh, offer something that we call psychoeducation. And, and all we mean by that is education for a child and a family about what trauma is, uh, what impact it has on our brain, on our body, on our mind, uh, those kinds of things. Information to uh, families about uh, the specific trauma that a child's been through. I mean, for example, uh, when we see children in our clinic, in addition to providing education about trauma in general and the impact of trauma in general, if a child's been sexually abused, uh, we'll give information about who is sexually abused and who perpetrates sexual abuse and wh what are the ages of children who are sexually abused. Because often, for example, these children arrive at, at programs like ours um, thinking that you know only girls are sexually abused. And I'm a 10-year-old boy, and what does it mean about me that I was sexually abused when uh, I believe that all the other children who, who are abused are girls? And then we, of course, are able to provide information to that child and family that lots of boys are sexually abused. In fact, probably on the order of one out of six or one out of seven boys are sexually abused. So by providing that information, uh, it helps these kids and families feel like they're not so different. It normalizes their experience. And probably as part of psychoeducation, the most important thing we want to accomplish is to help children and families understand that what happened is something bad to them, it's not them. So in other words, they're responding to an abnormal event that's hurt them, had a negative impact on them, as opposed to, quote, you're a bad child, there's something wrong with you. No, there's something wrong with what happened to you 
and now you're trying to learn to cope with it. But don't we sometimes, um, and by we I mean our society, schools, whatever, we see behavior that we consider bad behavior, and so we just jump on that, and then wouldn't that reinforce that feeling that it's them, not not what happened to them? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I should say first that sometimes bad behavior is just bad behavior, right? So not all yeah. bad behavior, not all bad behavior is caused by trauma, uh, but some, you know, some bad behavior just is what it is, and teachers and, and parents and others have to deal with it as such. But we also know that some uh, problematic behavior that children uh, demonstrate at school or in their family may be related to trauma experiences. For example, we know associated with uh, PTSD that some children develop uh, partly because their brains change uh, in response to trauma, that these kids are kind of in a a permanent state of hyperarousal, meaning that they're always sort of active. They're always hyper-alert. They're hyper-vigilant. Um, their brains have sort of gotten trained to be prepared for danger. They're prepared for bad things happening, so they're always ready to have that fight-or-flight response. So when they're at school, for example, and something happens, and maybe they feel unsafe, uh, maybe there's a school teacher who talks in a certain way or uh, talks so loudly that it reminds the child of physical abuse at home or domestic violence, and the child overreacts in that situation, uh, not because, quote, they're a bad child, but because they're, they're afraid. They're afraid that, similar to what went on at home, maybe someone's going to get hurt at school and maybe that somebody is them. And so they respond aggressively or they're oppositional because they want to make sure that they're keeping themselves safe. And that would be an example of uh, if the, our school systems aren't more trauma-informed, with some of these kids we may be responding as if they're just a behavior problem and therefore you know, we should deal with it just that way as opposed to a more trauma-informed perspective, which suggests that maybe what they're dealing with is trauma in other parts of their life. I think one of the I have PTSD and one of the ways I explain it to people is that when you we're used to soldiers having PTSD and we're used to the whole story about the soldier hearing the car backfire and he dives for cover or whatever right. but with somebody who has experienced a different type of trauma it's not a car backfire and it's not diving for cover it may be a phrase or a tone of voice um it it, it but it's the same kind of trigger. It's a, it triggers the same kind of response in the body. Yeah, that's that's really true. It, uh, just like our returning soldiers who may have PTSD, uh, children have the same kinds of uh, trauma reminders, things that trigger their symptoms and make it difficult for them to cope uh, at times. So, yes, uh, in fact, that whole example of our returning soldiers uh, with PTSD is one that I often use with families because uh, when they, when parents begin to understand that their children may have a disorder similar to what a returning soldier might have, I think it really helps parents begin to think about their child's behavior problems in a different way, helps them become a bit more compassionate 
realize that their child isn't, quote, just a bad child. Yeah, yeah, or just being difficult. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Okay, so um, we treat the PTSD, for example, but how is that helping the underlying trauma response, or is that is that the only trauma response that we have to look at? Well, it's a common trauma response, so if we are treating PTSD, that, that may well be the underlying trauma response, although many of the youth that we do treat with PTSD have other psychological issues. I mean, many of these kids have comorbid psychiatric disorders in addition to PTSD, including uh, behavior problems or depression or other anxiety problems. So, uh, you know, the other thing that, that we've learned about many kids who've experienced trauma uh, is that not only have they typically experienced the trauma for which they've been referred to a program like ours, but uh, they often have had exposure to other traumas. So, for example, when we did work uh, in New York City, after the terrorist attack of September 11th, or in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, uh, even though many of these kids were referred because of either of those uh, major disasters and terrorist events, uh, what we learned is that more than a few of these kids had other trauma earlier in their lives. And in some instances, if you ask them which trauma was the worst in their life, many of them would have suggested the earlier traumas like the death of a loved one in the family or uh, experiencing domestic violence or physical abuse, even though they'd gone through Katrina or the terrorist attack. When we're talking about these traumas that young people experience, well, anyone experiences, um, is there a difference between the sudden 9-11 or the sudden school shooting and that, that type of trauma and the trauma of ongoing abuse at home? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, in terms of uh, psychological symptoms and those kinds of impacts, um, there may not be a lot of differences, but uh, the kinds of abuse or violence that children experience in their families, uh, I think, is something that we really need to look at in a different kind of way. Uh, when there's abuse and violence in your family of origin, uh, that's very challenging because, you know, most kids want to grow up believing that they can trust their parents, they can trust their family, that your family is safe, and you grow up in that sense of safety and trust, and that allows you to go out into the world feeling uh, a greater sense of who you are, a better sense of confidence in the world and everything around you. You know, when you grow up in a family where there's abuse and violence, you learn that the people who are supposed to love you the, hurt, the most either hurt you or hurt uh, other family members. So you grow up wondering about whether you can trust people. You grow up wondering whether the world is safe. Uh, if, if you, you may also grow up feeling a sense of betrayal because I trusted this person and then they hurt me. So, I mean, aside from just the the impact of abuse and violence in the family, you get these uh, more intricate uh, dynamics that kids grow up with related to trust and to safety and to betrayal that I think 
may not be quite as true in some of these large events like uh, Hurricane Katrina. Okay. All right. So do you treat uh, – well, and, and I want to also go back. It, it sounds like sometimes we tend to think, we, the general public, tends to think that trauma is 9-11 or the school shooting, and that's it. But it sounds like actually oftentimes you're dealing with layers of trauma that are building on top, right. one on top of another. Yeah. I mean, the kids may have been exposed to Katrina or September 11th or – school shootings or whatever the case might be. And I don't want to underplay the importance of those events uh, because some of them have resulted in many people losing their lives and thousands of families being affected. But And, and those events have, uh, across America, have gotten a lot of media attention. And some of the positives from that have been that I think we now have paid a lot more attention to the impact of trauma not only on children, but on adults as well. So uh, there's been some things that have been important about these large events, not only in terms of the, the horrible impact of them, but just bringing attention to trauma. But with that said, uh, many, many, many more children are affected by child abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse, community violence, day in and day out in their lives in the U.S., and, um, you know, much more of our attention is focused on those kids because so many thousands more children are affected by those everyday events compared to some of these mass casualty events. Okay. So in treating this, it sounds like it's a huge issue, and it sounds like people have been trying to treat and help children with this for a, n a number of years now uh, using different approaches. Um, I would think that the first approach um, any psychologist or physician, for that matter, would, would take would be just a traditional approach, uh, maybe talk therapy or something like that. Am I right in guessing that that was how it was traditionally approached, or am I leaping here? Yeah, I, I think traditionally it's been approached with psychotherapy, but it's only been in the last couple of decades that, uh, we've sort of moved away from traditional talk therapy that typically allowed children and even adults, for that matter, to uh, talk about trauma when they were ready, if they were ready. And often what that meant was that they often weren't ready and weren't able to and they never talked about it. And, you know, developing a relationship with a psychotherapist can be helpful and, you know, the positive therapeutic alliance that children may share with a therapist is important and makes a difference in kids' lives. But um, if, if kids weren't encouraged to talk about what happened, often they never did. And, there, and you know, therapists, in, in, you know, back 20 or 30 years ago, often didn't uh, ask kids to talk about what happened because we've always been afraid that, if we really encourage them to talk about it, we might re-traumatize them. And um, it's only in the last couple of decades with some of the evidence-based treatments that have been developed that we've actually learned that not only won't we re-traumatize them, but if they don't get the opportunity to actually talk more about what's happened, then it's going to be less likely that they're going to heal from their experience. 
So tell me, what is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, and how is it different from that traditional approach? Well, um, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, or TFCBT, uh, is the acronym for the model, is a a form of uh, child trauma treatment developed by uh, Dr. Judy Cohen, Dr. Esther Deblinger, and myself uh, over the past uh, 25 years. And, um, you know, I would say the, the first way that it's different than some of the uh, more traditional methods that were used in the past is that it's, it's evidence-based. So we've studied uh, TFCBT over 25 years, and not only have we studied it, but uh, many other researchers around the country and, for that matter, around the world, uh, in, in Europe, for example, in Japan, uh, in, even in Africa, have studied TFCBT and, it, and its efficacy. And we've learned, not only in the U.S., but around the world, that TFCBT is a highly effective child trauma treatment. So, for starters, that, that's, that's probably the most important way that, that uh, trauma treatment in 2017 is different than 30 years ago. We now have evidence-based treatments that have been studied and shown to be effective. The, 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 secondly, um, I think the models that have been developed more recently are a bit more systematic uh, in their approach. So they often include things like, um, you know, the psychoeducation that I mentioned earlier, where we provide information to families about the impact of trauma on the body, on the brain, on the mind. We try to normalize the child and family's reactions. We share resources with families. Uh, For example, resources that we have on the website of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. So families can really come to understand that there are many others around the country who have experienced the same kind of thing as their child, and their reactions of their child are really pretty typical. So that's that's a, a, a early part of the work that we do with TFCBT. We also really and it help. Seems to me, excuse me for interrupting, but it seems to me that oftentimes, just when we're experiencing something, just knowing that there's a name for it, that it's it's something that exists, that we're not alone. It, it seems to me that oftentimes just that alone is often very helpful in dealing with things. Yeah, I really think that's true. So kids just coming to understand that it's happened to lots of other kids and their reactions are normal, that they're not, you know, something terribly wrong with them. It's just w- what happened was terribly wrong, and they're just learning yeah. to cope with it. Okay. All right. So, and and I I I like the idea of the parents being involved in that too. I I had kind of envisioned uh, trauma treatment with children just kind of being okay. Mom and dad will sit in the waiting room, and you know Johnny goes in with the doctor. Yeah. The, well, honestly, I've never understood why anyone's ever thought that working with children could involve not involving parents. Uh, parents yeah. are a lot more important in the lives of children than therapists will ever be, and we want to involve parents so. <laughs> They can work with us to, uh, to you know, make changes that will help their children to heal. And uh, providing education, for example, not only for the child but for the parent is just so important. So the parent can come to understand that, you know, my child's having behavior problems now or can't sleep at night 
or their grades have fallen off at school, not because, you know, there's something inherently wrong with them, but they're trying to deal with the effects of the trauma that they experience. So when parents get that kind of education, they come to understand more about what's going on, and they come to understand that their child is not just a behavior problem, but they're trying to deal with the impact of their trauma experience. So seeing parents... Is it often a, a surprise to parents when they they bring in a child with these kinds of problems? Is it a surprise to them sometimes to know that it was it's trauma based? Sometimes, you know, sometimes the the parents already know that the child's been through a trauma, and they may have some awareness, but often they don't. And you know, like you said earlier, some parents uh, think maybe you know why aren't they over this by now and you know, this happened to me when I was a kid and I got through it. Um, why aren't they through it? So sometimes it is a surprise for parents to learn that what's going on with their child is trying to deal with the effects of their trauma experience. Okay. All right. Okay. What What other uh, aspects of uh, TFCBT are, are different? So uh, one thing that we incorporate into TFCBT and is also true with some of the other evidence-based trauma treatments that exist today are our kids learning coping strategies and relaxation strategies. So as I mentioned earlier, that these kids' brains are kind of rewired. Uh, when, ex- when you experience trauma, your brain's rewired in such a way that you're sort of on the alert for danger, uh, that you're always kind of hypervigilant and ready to uh, to, to fight or to, or, or, to, or to run because you've experienced danger in your life and sometimes right in your family of origin. And because of that, these kids are often in, a, in kind of a permanent state of hyperarousal. You know, they're just always ready to move, ready to fight, ready to take care of themselves. And, you know, if these kids are going to really learn to cope better with their current life, they need ways to calm themselves, ways to sort of self-regulate, and that's why we work with them on, for example, uh, breathing skills or visual imagery or progressive muscle relaxation, strategies that they can learn to use to help them cope better and to calm themselves. Wonderful. Um, When you are meeting with the parent-child sessions, how... You know, one of the things that crosses my mind is what if one of the parents is the source of the trauma? Well, with TFCBT, if the parent is the perpetrator of the trauma, they would not be included in the treatment. It would it would be really uh, highly problematic, if not impossible, for a child to go through trauma treatment if the parent's the perpetrator. For example, if a father was involved in the treatment and, and he was the perpetrator of physical abuse of the child, uh, it's more than uh, a little bit likely that that parent would deny the abuse occurred or deny its its impact, and that would be highly invalidating for the child. So uh, with with TFCBT, uh, we typically involve a caretaker who's the non-offending parent or a grandparent or a foster parent depending on where the child lives, and we would not uh, include the, the perpetrating parent. Okay. All right. 
Okay. So um, education of the parent, education of the child and the parent, uh, learning coping skills like relaxation and and um, um, and I I must say I these are skills that I learned uh, quite a while ago and and these are you know when you first say oh you've experienced trauma and you need uh, help with it you know let's learn to relax on the surface of it it sounds like it would be a little silly but in fact it's extremely helpful um, these skills, uh, the muscle relaxation and the deep breathing and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm, I, I understand completely where you're coming from. What about the trauma narrative? So once kids have had the opportunity to learn coping skills, to learn to express their feelings better, and particularly feelings about their trauma experiences, uh, we call that affective regulation. And then they also learn um, to understand the connections between thoughts and feelings and behaviors. So, you know, depending on what we think can influence how we feel and how we behave. Um, you know, that that's a big part of the early work with TFCBT as well. And the reason why we include that is because kids often um, – have inaccurate thoughts and or unhelpful thoughts about their trauma experience. So we want to give them uh, experience and, and just learning to understand that how they think about various events in their lives can influence how they feel. I mean, for example, if you were supposed to go to the movies with a friend and you get a text from your friend who says, I can't go, um, if your immediate thought is, well, he doesn't like me, he doesn't want to be my friend, you know, that's going to cause a child to feel sad or disappointed or angry. Whereas on the other hand, if your thought was that maybe he's sick or his mom gave him some chores to do, he would probably feel differently. So we want to give kids practice in making the connections between thoughts and feelings and behavior. It's something that we therapists, you know, have a lot of experience with, but most kids and families don't. So they need practice with that. And then uh, it's at that point when they've learned to manage their feelings and their thoughts about their trauma experiences to a much greater extent that they move on to the trauma narration and processing part of TFCBT, which is really the opportunity for kids to talk more about what happened, give more details about their trauma experience, share their thoughts and their feelings, body sensations about their experience. And there's something about the process of narration for kids that is very healing and helps them to, helps them to realize that they can deal with the memories that they have, process those memories, heal from it, and go forward in their lives. I read several years ago when I was working on my master's degree uh, and was studying PTSD that at that point they were saying that uh, early intervention um, after a traumatic event, and they were pretty much talking about a one-time event, um, that if they could uh, work with the um, individual and have the individual formulate that narrative within a couple of days after the event, that that, in fact, helped prevent PTSD. Is that still the thinking, or is that different now? Well, it's a hypothesis that if we can uh, 
help people change the narrative early on that, that might potentially have an impact on PTSD. And there's been some preliminary work, for example, where uh, patients are receiving medication shortly after experience a single event trauma to just look at whether that might uh, result in uh, a decreased likelihood of developing PTSD. I think it's too early really to know whether any psychotherapeutic intervention or medication soon after trauma would prevent the development of PTSD, but it is an area that's, that's getting increased attention. Okay. All right. Um, okay, great. So, so far, everything that I've heard about TFCBT makes perfect sense to me, um, and, it, and it, I could see where it would really help a person uh, sort things out, and, and uh, a young person especially um, do that. Is there any other component, and of course I'm sitting here with the article from um, psych the Monitor on Psychology in front of me, and I'm seeing a phrase called in vivo exposure. What does that mean, and how does that play in TFCBT? Well, for example, uh, after trauma exposure, uh, children may have what we call generalized trauma reminders. It just means uh, things that remind them of the trauma, but in and of themselves may not be particularly uh, dangerous or threatening. So, for example, if a child has been sexually abused in her own bedroom, uh, in her own home, and that perpetrator is now out of the home, and there's no longer any danger, uh, the child's bedroom in and of itself might be a reminder because that's where the abuse occurred. And uh, because the child has become afraid of her bedroom, doesn't want to sleep there because the abuse occurred there, they, they don't want to sleep in their own room. And sometimes these young children may uh, want to sleep with their parents or somewhere else in the house. So in vivo mastery is the attempt to help kids deal with these generally innocuous reminders, but became sort of scary for kids because they're associated with the traumatic experience. So with a child, like I just mentioned a minute ago, we would use in vivo mastery to try to help them become more comfortable sleeping in their own bedroom. Okay. All right. Um, how long have you been using TFCBT, and what Obviously, you are a supporter of it, but um, and it's been around for a long time. Can we say this is the way to approach every child who's been through a trauma event? Well, I wouldn't say it's the way to approach every child. There are other treatments out there, and, you know, there's not a one-size-that-fits-everyone kind of approach. And I think even uh, Dr. Deblinger and Dr. Cohen and myself, the developers of TFCBT, wouldn't necessarily say that TFCBT is the right treatment for every child. Um, there are other uh, evidence-based treatments out there that, that may well be a good fit for other children. What, what I can tell you about TFCBT is that we do have uh, over 20 uh, randomized clinical trials supporting its effectiveness, um, and it's probably the most researched uh, child trauma treatment uh, that we have. And because of that, I think, you know, I feel confident that we can recommend that many kids could get it and make improvement. And our data show that about 80 to 85 percent of children who do receive TFCBT um, make significant improvement from participating in the model. Um, again, it's not the only treatment. 
but it is one that works, and and we're we're just so happy that so many kids can get good trauma treatment today compared to 30 years ago and really uh, heal from their experience. Yeah, yeah. You've been practicing this for, what, 25 years now. Have you been able to take data from the adult children that, that you, or, you know, the now adult children that you worked with and compared the the long-term effects of the children who have had TFCBT with those who did not? Well, is that something that you've looked at? Uh, it's a great question, and we have not. Um, the longest follow-up data that we have on children t- treated with TFCBT is about two years out, and those data show that children who got TFCBT maintain their significant improvement even two years later. So two years out, their PTSD, their behavior problems, depression, anxiety, and so forth, continued to be improved to the same degree, if not better, than when they finished treatment. So, uh, you know, a much longer-term follow-up into their later adolescent years or adulthood, of course, would be the perfect developmental study, but our data is just just about two years out. And I don't think really for any uh, of the psychosocial interventions for childhood trauma, there's any follow-up beyond about two years. Okay. That's that's too bad. It would be interesting to see that, that comparison. Um, yes. If somebody, and I, I, my, my brain is kind of bifurcating here because I'm, I want to go through the tact of, has TFCBT been used in adults? because of previous trauma. Yeah, well, it it is a model that uh, was developed and has been researched for uh, children and adolescents ages uh, 3 to 18. All of our research uh, has included preschool children, primary grade children through high school, basically. So it is not a model that was developed for adults, nor do we have scientific evidence to show that it works with adults, although a lot of therapists around the country, uh, just based on clinical anecdotes, have shared with me and with Drs. Cohen and Devlinger that they have used the model with transitional age youth, ages 18 to 22, and have found the model to be effective, but there's no research data. But there are other models with adults, uh, like Edna Foa's uh, prolonged exposure therapy and Patty Resick's cognitive processing therapy that have been uh, very uh, much investigated over many years and have been shown to be highly effective. In fact, uh, both of those therapies have been shown effective enough that they're being widely disseminated across the, the VA system in the U.S. Wow. I, I, what made me think of that is I know some adult women who um, were sexually abused uh, by uh, uh, an adult relative, an adult parent, and they have tried different approaches to deal with that. And it just occurred to me that, you know, that it seems like this might have some effectiveness there. I don't know. And I just was yeah, curious no, as to whether where it could, right? for sure. Yeah. The other question that I have is what if I want to find someone who practices TFCBT? What if I I have a child that I'm concerned about? Where do I go to try and get information about this? Well, uh, we we have created a a TFCBT therapist 
certification program. Uh, and basically, it involves therapists uh, meeting a number of training requirements and standards to become certified in TFCBT. And uh, for those who actually become certified after going through the training uh, and other standards, uh, we have a, a roster of nationally certified TFCBT therapists that can be found on our website, which is tfcbt.org. And if you look under the section uh, for certified therapists, you can find certified therapists uh, that can be located by, by their name, uh, by their geographic location. So for example, if you're living in Phoenix, Arizona, and you were hoping to find a TFCBT therapist, you could come to our website and look under Phoenix, Arizona and see who might be located there who's certified in TFCBT. Okay. And um, if I am, and this is, a, this is a question that's a little bit more difficult, what if I'm not the parent? What if I'm not the parent, but I'm seeing some things that concern me that make me suspect um, trauma uh, for the child? What do I do? What can I do? Well, I guess it all depends on who you are in relation to the family. You know, if you're a teacher uh, and you're having concerns about a child, of course, I, I could easily see where a teacher would share those concerns and observations with a parent. You know, if you're a friend of the family or extended family member, I could see where you might share those concerns. Um, so I think that would probably be the typical course of action that, you know, we always want to make sure that parents are involved and understand uh, what our concerns might be about a particular child. Okay. All right. And my final question, because I'm looking at our clock going, whoa, I don't know where this hour went, but it, it went, didn't it? My final question is, how did you get into this particular field? How, what, what prompted you to focus in this area in your professional life? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I think primarily because I uh, did a lot of early work uh, in my career in the child welfare system and juvenile justice system and saw kids who've been impacted by abuse and trauma and violence. And this was 30 years ago, and uh, I was just starting my research career also. And it was it was very clear that we didn't know a lot about the impact of trauma on children, and we also didn't have any interventions for them either. Uh, when I started in the field, it was not considered a legitimate field. Uh, people who worked in the trauma area were considered kind of frenzy, uh, fr fringy, and I uh, was encouraged by some more senior professionals to sort of seek out a more legitimate field like childhood ADHD or childhood depression. But I thought, no, I want to stick with this field because I, I think it's one that is going to be important over time as we understand the impact. And here we are 30 years later, and we've learned a lot about the impact of trauma and now know a lot about how we can help these kids. So uh, despite some discouragement from people early on, I'm glad I stuck with it because uh, it, it's, it's been an important field. And I, and I, and I would add that, that the best thing about the field for me has been that these kids are truly inspirational. Uh, they've been through many challenges in their lives. They find a way to, to work through it and get past it. And every kid that we see inspires us to do the work because 
they let us know that kids can heal from trauma experiences. Well, and I think for people who have experienced a number of traumas in their life, um, it can be a difficult journey to learn how to deal with it. But once you have named it and um, uh, incorporated it in your life in whatever way you need to to be productive, you can actually have a much richer life, and I think it makes you a, a, a more empathetic and a more uh, creative person. That's just my personal opinion. I, of course, have no data to support that, but There's a lot of truth to that. When, when you've been through some tough stuff in your life and you've learned to cope with it, I think we all develop more empathy for others who've been through it and more compassion for others. So, um, you know, sometimes, what do they say? Uh, we grow more from the tough things we go through than the, the positive stuff, and there's probably a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I mean, I have one friend who always signs her emails with it. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I find that a little trite, but but basically that's what we're saying here. And um, I I would love to see some research, and I hope somewhere somebody is listening and willing to do some research. I would love to see uh, data from children who experienced trauma and did not receive any uh, treatment and children who did go through the TFCBT treatment and look at what happens to them in their lives 50 years or 30 years or 20 years later. Um, It would be a really interesting study. Yeah, it would be a great study. Dr. Manorino, thank you so much for sharing your information, your depth, and your wisdom with us. If somebody wants to go to your website again, please give us that, that information. At tfcbt.org. tfcbt.org. Dr. Okay. Anthony Manorino, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have thank you here. You. I've learned a lot. Me. It's been a pleasure being and, on the show. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the work that you do. Please join us again next week. Free women, free ways. Oh, I almost forgot my quote. I, I always end the show with a quote. And today the quote is from Judith Lewis Herman. She is still a prisoner of her childhood, attempting to create a new life. She re-encounters the trauma. And I think that's what we see with people and children who have not received any kind of help or treatment after a trauma event in their lives. So thank you, Dr. Manorino, for helping to avoid that re-encountering the trauma for everyone that that has experienced it who is out there. So thank you. Join us next week. Three women, three ways.